0: Hello and welcome to episode 32 of Killer Hangover. I'm Bettina. And I'm Beth. Thank you for joining us. This week we are going to discuss stories from New Mexico. Mexico. I've got the true crime
1: and Beth has the paranormal. Yes, I do. So with that, you also have a drink. Yes, I do. (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to copy you a little bit in the fact that My alcohol does not come from New Mexico. Oh, you're giving me such a hard time last week. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. But but in my defense, this was on (laughs) NewMexico.org. Okay. As a beverage for New Mexico.
0: All right. I think that goes.
1: That makes sense. I think that goes, too. Yeah. (laughs) It goes whoop whoop. Okay. Not yet. But we are about to because this drink is called... The whole enchilada. Okay. I'm like, I'm really nervous. I have not tried it either. I've not tried it yet either. I literally just mixed it up and I'm crossing my fingers that it tastes okay. because and we won't get sick? <laughs> we might. Okay. It says that the cocktail would pair nicely with a hearty heaping of enchiladas. but Which we don't have. <laughs> we don't have. I'm not going to sit here and eat on the podcast. But it's totally different than anything I've ever made or had before all right i'm like really excited to share drum roll please (laughs) all right griswold it is one so what you do is 24 hours before you're going to drink it so you actually like have to prepare for the plan (laughs) yes is it's one cup of vodka and then you mix in one tablespoon of ground red chili you mix it up and put it in the refrigerator for overnight Okay. then when you're ready to drink you strain the vodka through a coffee filter to remove the red chili powder and then you can bottle and store it for whatever you want but you know we're ready to drink it so then you do two ounces of the red chili infused vodka one ounce of honey syrup one ounce of fresh lemon juice and then garnish with a lemon slice we never garnish our drinks sorry <laughs> <laughs> we're not into the presentation <laughs> so you pour all the ingredients into a cocktail shaker i have a shaker y'all <laughs> you add ice shake well strain into a cocktail glass and drink and drink all
0: right this uh, sounds this really is very different
1: <laughs> okay you ready cheers cheers Ooh, oh, oh, oh. It's peppery.
0: It tastes really chipotle.
1: has a kick. Like smoky Mm chipotle.
0: It's very smoky.
1: But it's very like it. It's
0: super good. But if you don't like spice, you're not going to like this. mm -mm.
1: It has a lot of kick to it. Holy cow. That's different, though. I can't say that it's bad and I can't say that it's like. Ooh, I could guzzle it like last week's drink. Like the seven and seven. You can't guzzle. This is like a martini. Please don't guzzle this. These stories would not sound like stories in the end. (laughs) Super good. Because I like that I knew you would like it. Mom loves like ghost pepper chips and all that crap. (laughs) She and my husband. That's that's disgusting. But this is the whole enchilada.
0: It's really good. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. For doing I mean for trying something new. I love that. Mm-hmm. So we have learned in these so few many recipes, months, so many cool drinks that I never even knew existed.
1: I know. And I actually went out and bought a bottle of that some of that Seagram 7 because I really enjoyed Liked it that much. <laughs> 7 and 7 last week. <laughs> yes. And Alex was like, whiskey? Really, Beth? I was like, yes, I really like this.
0: It's like that butter... The peanut butter
1: whiskey that I turned you
0: guys into. Gosh, there's always a
1: bottle of that in the fridge, too. (laughs) Geez. Oh, Mom, we don't
0: like whiskey. Mm, Okay, just try it. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Mmm. Well, cheers, sweetie. This is good, and you're going to need that as I tell you this story once upon a time. So, as I was looking through New Mexico to look for a true crime, I came upon the West Mesa Graveyard. And Mm. I know you've heard about it. I was not that familiar with it. And so after looking into it, I became more and more interested. um, It's been a long
1: time since I've heard this story. And you always give different details, you know, that I've not heard before. So I like listening to it.
0: And as of yet, it's unsolved. Crazy. There's a lot of suspicions on people, but it's unsolved. All right, the West Mesa Graveyard. Everybody counts or nobody counts. And everybody counts. This is the mantra of Detective Ida Lopez of the Albuquerque Police Department. This very soft-spoken religious detective really made an impression on me as I watched interviews with her on the December tenth, 2010 dateline titled somebody's daughter. When Detective Lopez was in Vice, she worked in the section of Albuquerque called the War Zone. 118th Street is appropriately named this because of all the violence, drugs, sex workers, and pimps that run this section of the city. It's really a hardcore street. During her time in Vice, Detective Lopez got to know a lot of women that worked in the sex trade on the street, and her heart really went out to them. These people's souls are just as important as mine. One thousand percent. She she just, she really made an impression on me, this detective. And that is what she said. I love that it's a female detective. And she's just this little. Go girl, go. This little beautiful woman. Everyone has different pain, she said. As you probably know, many of these women come from homes where all they knew was abuse and or neglect. And they turn to drugs and alcohol. And to pay for those, the women become sex workers. Getting into a car with a stranger as many as 20 to 30 times a day.
1: Oh, my heart.
0: No way, says Lopez. Does any man or woman really want to do that? But that's the raw power of addiction. Mm. Another problem that tags along with these women is that there is usually no phone record, no address and their families rarely hear from them if at all so when they do go missing it's really hard to track if they're really missing on their own account or involuntarily
1: right
0: now i'm going to take you into the life of one of these sex workers her name was michelle valdez she was a little different in that she was not abused or neglected as a child Her father, Dan Valdez, was a very doting father who loved to take videos of his daughters celebrating birthdays and milestones and First Communion, etc. In these videos, you see a darling little girl with dark curls. She's always smiling and laughing. Dan and his wife divorced when Michelle and her younger sister were still little. And if I'm not mistaken, the girls ended up living with their father. Okay. So... Their father, Dan, worked at a juvenile facility full-time, but he never left the girls on their own, and sometimes he even brought them to work with him, pointing out that this is where they could end up if they messed up. Dan continued taking videos of the girls. Michelle was growing up, but still refreshingly vibrant, laughing and smiling and telling jokes. But then, at 13, Michelle found herself pregnant. Dan still took videos, but now you saw 14-year-old Michelle bottle-feeding a little baby.
1: Wow, what a just, wow.
0: I mean, 13.
1: Her smile
0: and her personality were not as big as in previous videos. Michelle named the baby girl Angelica, Angelica. And Mm -hmm. she did try for a short time to handle being a mom and going to school. We're talking 14. Golly,
1: good for her.
0: But then she dropped out.
1: She tried to make ends meet
0: by working several part-time jobs, but soon realized that her world was spinning out of control. She gave little Angelica to her aunt to raise. By 20 years old, Michelle was addicted to drugs and working as a sex worker to support her habit. She would still make it a point to show up at all her daughter's celebrations, especially birthdays and Christmas, and Dan, her father, would still be taking videos. But these showed a very different Michelle. She looked sad and withdrawn, her hair no longer curly, just thin and wavy, and her face marked with sores, showing evidence of her crack pipe habit. By this time, Michelle had several run-ins with the law. Dan tried to help by bailing his daughter out of jail, always getting the promise from her that she would turn around and get her life straight. But a few days later, she was back on the streets. She would turn up when she needed money, and Dan would always give her some money. It was the only way he got to see her.
1: Oh, wow, yeah.
0: On a calendar, he started crossing out days that he did not see her, and these days soon became more and more. They would span weeks, and then in 2004, weeks became months. As I said, Michelle always made it a point to show up for Angelica, But in 2004, Michelle was a no-show at Angelica's seventh birthday. And then again, a no-show at Christmas. Something was very wrong. And in February, Dan reported his daughter missing. Okay, now we're back to Detective Lopez, who by this time was no longer in vice, but now headed the missing person cold case division. She started a missing persons list on which Michelle and another sex worker, Cinnamon Elks, were on this list. Detective Lopez was told of a call that reported that Michelle and Cinnamon had been stabbed and buried in West Mesa. What? According to Lynn Gutierrez Kruger of the Albuquerque Journal, Cinnamon told friends shortly before she went missing that, quote, a dirty cop was chopping off the heads of prostitutes and burying them on the West Mesa.
1: A dirty cop was doing this, supposedly?
0: Yes. Okay. I mean, this is just... Sure, 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 know. sure. Of course, all this street talk was unverified, and by the end of 2005, five women were on this list of missing women that the detective I was... I know that
1: they're just rumors, but like, they don't just come from nowhere.
0: Most rumors don't. I
1: mean, there, you know,
0: there's there's some truth
1: from some truth. Yeah. Okay. So now
0: five women were on this list of missing women, all sharing commonalities, one of which was that they were all sex workers. A task force consisting of police, detectives, and FBI agents was formed, which met once a month. Now we're up to 12 women. Families are asked for DNA and dental records of the missing women. And as you can imagine, the rumors are flying by this point. Oh my gosh, yes. One such rumor had it that the killer was a cop from California. Another that Cuban drug dealers were involved. So those are just two of the stories that were flying around. Detective Lopez is quoted as saying, I always felt they were going to be together. If you found one, you'll find them all. The word all now included 18 missing women on her list. February 2nd, 2009. Ruka and her owner, Ross, are taking a walk around an abandoned construction site in West Mesa.
1: So Ross I lets like Ruka... That name. I
0: I know, I liked it too. I
1: like our puppy stories that we throw in here. <laughs> Ross and lets three of our dogs are just snoring,
0: snoring away. <laughs> Ross lets Ruka off her leash and the dog runs off to explore... She soon comes back with a large bone in her mouth. Hmm. The bone doesn't really look like an animal bone. It seems too big.
1: I would have a heart attack.
0: Though so, Ross takes a picture with her phone and sends it to her sister, who happens to be a nurse. Her sister responds, saying that it looks like a human femur or thigh bone.
1: Oh, my gosh. Heart attack number two.
0: Ross notice buys the police, as sure
1: anybody would of do course.
0: Uh, they didn't seem too concerned at first because, believe it or not, finding bones is not that unusual huh? in this section of the desert. What? Many artifacts and bones from persons long dead have been randomly found throughout the years.
1: That is just weird. <laughs> uh, your dog found a human bone. All right, cool. We'll check on it in a couple weeks. <laughs> I mean... I've never
0: been any place where I stumbled upon bones that were old, but you know, oh, no. who knows? But soon after closer inspection, it's determined that the bone actually belongs to someone that's only been dead a few years.
1: Oh, geez.
0: Over the next few days, a 30 yard swath has been made of the abandoned construction site. Six sets of remains, 20 yards of each other, were found. Then 11 sets. Right now, they're all Jane Doe's. The remains of a four-month-old fetus are also found with Jane Doe number eight. Now the collected dental records that they got from the parents. Yeah, I was just
1: going to ask.
0: They pay off. Jane Doe number one is identified as Victoria Chevs. As the victims are slowly identified, the search for the killer has started, but with absolutely no leads. Interestingly enough, 2003 satellite photos show a dry riverbed and regular desert vegetation. I
1: remember hearing this. This is so spooky.
0: It's so cool to see, though.
1: I have not seen the pictures.
0: Oh, it's so cool. In 2004, satellite photos of the same area actually show tire tracks and three bare spots among the vegetation.
1: Oh, just the heebie-jeebies. Oh my God! Two
0: thousand and five, photos show even more bare spots located about twenty yards from each other.
1: So those are the, the, the <laughs> so the
0: burial sites. The bare spots align for the most part with the places the bones were found. In two thousand and five, building sites were expanding into the desert, especially the West Mesa. Could this be the reason the killer stopped using this area for his burial ground? Because that it, is so
1: many people.
0: The construction site's moving closer and closer to this burial ground now.
1: That is just, it's just so many people. It's just unbelievable, though. That
0: so, did he move on to a new area? Yeah. No. Between 2007 and 2008, the building market hit a low, and construction of new homes came to a standstill, causing deserted sites, like the one that Ross and Ruko were walking right. through. In two thousand and eight, bad rainstorms caused ra- runoff from these construction sites into nearby neighborhoods. The runoff also caused some of the bones of the victims to come to the surface.
1: So it's, so like, it's like everything just kind of worked together for the bones to come it up does. for people to find. Yeah. or else I don't think anything. It, if it's it, just, it all played a hand in finding it's these. It's kind of
0: crazy. And then five months later, enter Ruka and her newfound bone. <laughs> Police were brought in from all over to dig, as well as skid loaders that were used for the heavier work. There's one report of a skid loader dumping the load of dirt that they had just mm-hmm. picked up. What's a
1: skid loader? Like a bulldozer kind of a thing?
0: Yeah, but smaller. Okay. And a skull rolled down the hill after the skid loader oh my dumped. Gosh, the, can you imagine? That would be just yeah.
1: I still just can't imagine my dog running up to me with a
0: bone in his mouth. The crime scene covered the area of about the size of 75 football fields.
1: Mom, how big is a football field? Do you remember from episode two?
0: 100 yards.
1: <laughs> Not 100 feet.
0: They <laughs> play really small games. <laughs> I had to throw the football fields in there so you knew what I was talking so about now. give
1: you crap again? Yeah, thanks.
0: April 25th, 2009, it seemed that all the bodies had been discovered and all but one had been identified. And all but that one were women on Detective Lopez's missing persons list. The unidentified remains didn't fit the description of any of the women on that list. Who was she? Yeah. Was she from Albuquerque or was she brought in from someplace else? The skull was pretty much intact, so a recreation of the woman's face was made into a sketch, which I find so so fascinating. So cool. And with information gleaned from her wisdom teeth, detectives now knew that they were looking for a 14 or 15-year-old African-American teen.
1: Oh, my heart. Gosh darn it.
0: They combed through missing children files from every state, narrowing their search to the description they had. It was her ears and eyes that caught the attention of the detective looking at pictures because they were remarkably like the recreation of the girl's face. Jane Doe, number seven, now had a name. She was Selena Edwards. According to the 2003 missing person report, Selena ran away from a girl's group home in Lawton, Oklahoma. The home is for girls who are victims of neglect and abuse. And Selena had been in the home since the age of five after her mother went to jail. So, yes, another really sad childhood story. The detective discovered Selena was doing the circuit, meaning working her way through states. She had an arrest record in Denver, Colorado, where she was released in 2004 and must have made her way into New Mexico where she was killed. Selena was the only African-American among the buried women and the only one with ties outside of New Mexico. The last victim to be identified was 15-year-old Jamie Berla. She did not fit the profile of the other victims as she was not a sex worker. Unfortunately, she had gone to a park with her 27-year-old cousin, Evelyn Salazar, who was a sex worker, and then they both were reported missing gosh darn it so now we have a serial killer on our hands and no leads according to the fbi profile of the killer he was a white male 30 to 50 years old
1: i mean how can they even narrow that down to that though
0: yeah but okay like (laughs) like that's like still thousands and thousands of men i I just don't
1: even yeah
0: a hundred thousand dollar reward is offered of course, this causes a flood of calls oh, to come I'm in.
1: Oh, sure everybody calls in.
0: And all of them have to be looked into. But only some seem to be good leads. One such lead sends detectives to Joplin, Missouri. Oh. Where they interview Ron Irwin, a photographer who was in the Albuquerque area in 2004 for the Hot Air Balloon Fest. This cool. was the period that most of the women disappeared.
1: I'd love to go on a hot air balloon.
0: It's fun. Nothing substantial was found on him,
1: so he was just some guy that came out for the. They just yeah, they that... had
0: they had leads, uh, different leads on him, and and the fact that he had been out there during that time. Okay, so that's why they followed through. It was more than just that. I mean, obviously, because yeah, yeah, like, there's probably more, a lot of people come up for a that. A lot
1: More white guys at the balloon fest <laughs> than just him.
0: Next, they looked at Lorenzo Montoya. He was picked up in 1999 after a sex worker reported that he had tried to strangle her to death. He was later let go because she refused to testify against him. In 2006, Montoya picked up a stripper and took her to his home to dance for him. His home happened to be a trailer in a park about two miles from where the bodies were later found. What Montoya Mm. didn't know was that the stripper's boyfriend had followed the couple to the trailer. And after an hour, when his girlfriend hadn't come out of the trailer, he confronted Montoya. An argument ensued. Both had guns and Montoya was shot and killed. The girlfriend was found in the trailer, bound and dead. Mm. Police obviously were never able to question Montoya about his involvement in the West Mesa killings. I read this one report and... I don't know how true it is, but I have to throw it in because it was so like interesting. Um, <laughs> it said that in two thousand and six there were dirt trails that led from Montoya's trailer directly to the dig site. You no, know, I don't know how true that is, but
1: I'm speechless.
0: It was in this one report that I read.
1: My <laughs> mouth is burning. <laughs> oh, but you don't know if that's fact or not, right. Ah oh, bummer.
0: Joseph Blee was another viable suspect. His ex-wife called the police shortly after the bodies were found, saying that they should look into him. When they were still married, she said she would find jewelry and women's underwear hidden in the home. They weren't her underwear. So he was cheating on her. Blee was never charged with any of the murders, but he is serving a 90-year prison term for sexually assaulting four women.
1: Oh, gosh. Well, hey, they caught a bad guy anyway. Yep.
0: Police continue their search for the West Mesa Boneyard Killer, and victims' families continue to mourn for the loss of their daughters, sisters, mothers. As for Dan, the father that I spoke about, Michelle's father? Yes. He formed a group made up of the families of the victims of the West Mesa Killer. The families meet by the site where the victims were found. They have a memorial service, and then they visit with each other, sharing food, stories, and Mm, tears. And as for his daughter, Michelle, she took a hard turn in life, but Dan finds some consolation that he was able to give her a Christian burial and that he can go to visit her at her gravesite. So I thought it would be interesting to find out how many serial killers are actually, quote, active in the U.S. today. Since this Albuquerque killer seemed more recent than the ones we've done. According to the Radford University FGCU serial killer database, the height of serial killers was from the 1970s through the 1990s. Yeah,
1: I was going to guess around the 70s and 80s. There
0: were approximately 104 serial killers in 1974. 107 in 1984, 151 in 1994. The last year the data was collected by Radford was 2015, which obviously a few years ago, But, and then there were only about 30 active serial killers. This 30 active serial killers happens to be the same number as in the 1960s. But is this number right? Hmm... Maybe it is because now police from different counties and cities and even states can share data, which they weren't able to do before. Right. Social media helps spread pictures of suspects faster and further than ever. And science has progressed leaps and bounds with DNA and and, you know, all the science stuff since the 1980s and 90s. But I'm going to flip that around, too. Could there be many more than 30? Because of social media... Could serial killers be learning from other serial killers Israel how keys. not to be caught?
1: Israel Keys.
0: And because of the internet, could they be learning how better to commit their crimes?
1: I mean, I mean they can form victims' faces now just from their skulls, like you said. Mm-hmm. And now they have CODIS, and now they have, you know, Ancestry and all that kind of stuff to find people, and it's really... I would imagine it's got to be so much harder now for them to stay hidden. But like Israel keys who, yes, he got caught, but he could have just kept doing what he was doing all over the United States. Like how
0: many of these killers have we talked about that are just regular dudes? I mean, they're just regular men. They're next live next door to, I mean, that are not even suspected and they go on for years.
1: Yeah. And another thing too, that they're, I think they're looking at too is like, Like, I just watched some Dateline. um. (laughs) Dateline. It's like a classic Dateline episode. And I don't, gosh darn it, I don't remember. We'll probably cover it because it was really interesting. But the killer ended up being some DJ at the club that she went to on the weekends with her girlfriend. Oh, yes. I saw that one actually. It was like 24 years later and they only caught him because he wasn't, he was not in CODIS. He wasn't. In any DNA throughout any prison systems, he wasn't, his DNA was not coming up anywhere. They caught him again because of ancestry, but like he, he didn't know her. He had never talked to her. And I think that's, what's really scary too, is that people could be getting away with it. If they, now he left DNA at the scene. If he hadn't have left DNA at the scene, he would never, he got married only months after murdering that woman. Like he could have just gone on with his life if he wouldn't have left DNA at the scene. Exactly. And that's another thing is like, we just don't know how many, I guess you should look at how many unsolved cases, how many cold cases are still out there because those could easily be people like that DJ guy that just, it's a random pick, just got away with it.
0: Yeah. Those are the ones that scare me. Cause that's there's terrifying. No, there's no, no rhyme or reason to rhyme it. or reason. Mm-mm.
1: They didn't know each other. Oh, Ugh. So you just don't know who this person
0: is. No. I mean it it kind of makes sense that it's Montoya, but
1: Right. but that's also us just wanting answers too. It's
0: not it's not been proven. There's right. no I mean obviously the gravesite is no longer being used, but like I said before, has he moved on to a different gravesite and as Since we know the construction the sex, is moving closer. The sex workers are easy prey.
1: Mhm. Ugh jerks and cheers to that badass female investigator. I can't even imagine having that job but cheers to her good for her definitely that woman has a
0: heart of absolute she's fighting
1: for a real cause
0: gold I mean she
1: yeah all right now you can sit back and enjoy the spiciness I will It's like it kind of reminds me of you know that cinnamon gum. That you put it in your mouth and it kind of burns right when you put it in. Big red? Big red, yes. It's kind of the initial taste. It kind of burns when you sip it in then.
0: I just love the smoky. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no,
0: it definitely has a different flavor than big red, but I know the burn in your... Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's definitely not cinnamon. No. <laughs> <laughs> it is definitely red chili powder. <laughs> All right. Are we ready for some paranormal? Ready, ready. All right. So some of you may be believers or like mom, a little more skeptic about some of our ghost stories. (laughs) But this episode, I'm actually going to request you to have a bit more of an open mind. All right. I'm opening it with this drink. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. Because in my story this week, the paranormal part of this podcast, I am going to be a little more supernatural, a little more... Extraterrestrial. What is that? <laughs> I don't know. I was Are getting... you a cat? <laughs> <laughs> That's a UFO sound. Okay. I am covering a story from Roswell, New Mexico. Mm hmm. But not the story you think I'm going to tell. I'm not going to tell you about the time a UFO supposedly crashed on a ranch outside of Roswell in 1947. Oh no, who wants to hear about that? (laughs) I'm going to tell you about the Roswell rock. Oh, okay. (laughs) Tell me about a rock (laughs) instead of a spaceship landing. Well, I wanted something that you didn't really, you've never heard. I haven't heard. Okay, so before I tell you about the Roswell Rock, I am going to give you some spark note version notes on the UFO crash that happened in 1947. Okay, so July 7th. Oh, that's Blakey's birthday. That's my dog's birthday. Um. Anyway, so July 7th in 1947, rancher Mac Brazel discovered what looked like something very unusual that had crashed in his sheep pasture. He found a large area Now known as the skip site that was covered with debris of heavy plastics, metal, foil reflectors and scraps of a heavy, glossy foil paper like material. Now it was called a skip site because it was believed the object, whatever it was, hit the ground and skipped kind of like a stone hitting water. Mm -hmm. So Brazil had no idea what this was. So he called the local sheriff who called officials at the nearby Roswell Army Air Force Base. Before they knew it, soldiers were in the field gathering all the debris they could. Now, here's where the story gets... eh. This is what I read, but I also read reports of a couple... There's a couple out camping in a nearby area. Actually, they witnessed the crash the night before... And they were the first at the scene. And when they got to the fiery object burning out there in the desert, it was just a ton of debris. And they actually saw bodies of extraterrestrial beings. Say it isn't so. So here I need to remind you, open mind, mom, take a drink. (laughs) So regardless of how it was discovered, the Air Force made sure they picked up everything. I mean, everything. They were out there for months picking up every piece of debris they could. But they never found a spaceship. They just found debris. Debris. Because it had burnt up. I see. Whatever crashed. On July 8th, 1947, the day after the debris was first discovered, the local papers read captions like, quote, RAAF captures flying saucer on ranch in Roswell region, unquote saying that officials from the Army Airfield had actually reported it being a flying saucer. The next day, the Air Force retracted their statements and claimed it was a weather balloon. A weather balloon? <laughs> but by this time, it all seemed like such a cover-up, because they had been out there cl- trying to clean the debris. The area had witnesses say they heard or saw the crash, as well as photographs, and it seriously didn't look Anything like a weather balloon they'd ever seen. Mm -mm. The U.S. military even went as far as later issuing another report linking the incident to a top secret atomic espionage project called Project Mogul. But this event and how the stories had changed and how the whole event was shrouded with this mystery left Roswell, New Mexico, ground zero for modern day UFO researchers. I watched an episode from a show called In Search of Aliens. It was episode four of the series called The Roswell Rock. Now, I just have to mention here, the show's host is literally, how do I put this? He's basically just like Zach Bagans from Ghost Adventures, (laughs) but he's like explaining aliens. He's super dramatic and like very passionate about what he's researching. Uh He also has this like, crazy wild stand on the end hair like like you'd think he was in quarantine and needs a haircut but then you realize it was recorded in 2014 and he (laughs) meant to have it look like that (laughs) but the best part is his name is Giorgio oh Giorgio (laughs) Giorgio Suclos so in this episode he is in search of the Roswell rock an item that he believed may have been missed by the soldiers when they cleaned the wreckage from the UFO crash site. Ooh, The rock was found in 2004 by Robert Ridge, one day while he was out tracking deer in the desert. The rock is small. It's kind of triangular shaped, but the edges are rounded. Obviously, I'll post a photo, but it's brown, like a very dark brown, And on top of the stone is a design etched into the rock, but it's not like etched into it. It's like it's raised here. I'll let you look at it. Oh, my gosh. That's not natural. That's no, it's definitely a design that's in it. That's what do you see? Two owls. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) She's also seeing two rocks. (laughs)
0: No, I'm seeing two owls, like two owl faces. (laughs) Or it could be two alien faces. (laughs) Okay,
1: give me the phone. (laughs) So the symbol actually shows a sun and a moon. (laughs) Mine was a lot more interesting. (laughs) And it literally looks like the image was glued on top of the rock, right? Well, it does, but there's an indenture
0: there, too. Yeah,
1: but it's very detailed. It's like 3D, but... And then keep in mind, the rock is like, mm, maybe, I don't know, inches. I mean, like, mom knows football fields. I can't really... (laughs) I would say it's probably like three inches. I mean, it's hard to tell in a photo, but... Well, like, in watching the video, I saw it was probably three inches diameter. Like, it wasn't huge either. And what's interesting about the image is that it matches... Almost exactly the image that was found in a crop circle out in England. Ooh, that's weird. And the crop circle was exceptional. It was done in a field of wheat and was about 120 feet long. A pilot that flew over the field, like flew over, did his stop or whatever he had to do, maybe took 30 minutes, flew back over the field, and the image was there. And the image had not been there before. What? In the crop circle, yes. Yes and the crop circle is said to have been perfect it was four layers thick with crops where they were flowing in one direction and then another layer on top of the crop circle was flowing in the other direction and then the other direction and then the other direction direction. it was like perfect clean lays where like no board or string could have done it and in 30 minutes 120 feet long that's crazy that's like bigger than one of your football fields (laughs) So, Giorgio meets Robert at a diner in Roswell. Robert comes and sits down with him at the bar of the diner. And Giorgio's like, so did you bring it? And Robert's like, oh, yeah. And he (laughs) stands up and he struggles to reach inside his front jean pocket. Uh And he pulls out the rock. And I'm like, wait, isn't this rock supposed to be, like, special? Like, why is it just in your jean pocket? Okay, cool. (laughs) But anyway... Robert explains the not on, not only. God bless it. I'm just gonna finish this really fast. <laughs> um, I think it's really good. I so. knew you would. There's more in the the pour. Oh, do you want me mean hand it to you? Mm-hmm. You can finish it off. I made enough for three drinks. My story gets really good. I'm excited to share it.
0: Uh, okay. Where was I? He just pulled the rock out of his pants. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's what she said. <laughs> uh, anyway. um, okay, so Georgia was eyeing the rock. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna wish I hadn't said Oh no. Oh no, here come the tears. <laughs> Crap. And is amazed how <laughs> for maturity. Okay, um
0: Which obviously we don't have. Property <laughs> X-
1: So, Giorgio is eyeing this rock and is amazed at how smooth it is and it's got some weight to it and he's enamored. <laughs> oh Shoot. Podcast is ruined. <laughs> Robert explains that not only is this rock look unusual but it also seems to have a magnetic field inside of it. He proceeds to reach back in his pocket And pull out his magic wand. (laughs) (laughs) Oh
0: Oh, no. (laughs) You've ruined this podcast, Mom. You've ruined it.
1: It's a magnet, okay, it's a magnet. But he holds it above the rock, and the rock starts to literally spin under his magic wand.
0: Oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs>
1: yeah. So, but what's even, was even weirder? <laughs> but what's even weirder is remember how I said that the image on the rock is like a moon and a sun? Mm-hmm. So when he holds the magic wand over the moon. The rock spins in one direction and then when he holds the magic wand, well it's a magnet, it's not a magic wand, but when he holds the magnet. (laughs)
0: That's what he calls it.
1: He he did. When he holds the magnet over the sun, the rock would rotate in the other direction. Wow. And remember the stone is small. Okay. So he also explains how the rock reacts to his body energy. (laughs) Mother. Robert holds the rock in one hand and has his hand kind of like slanted and he's holding the rock and he brings his other hand towards the rock and as this other hand is like bouncing away from the rock, kind of like a magnet putting negative and negative together and they like bounce back from one another.
0: I'd have to feel that myself.
1: So he like couldn't enclose his hands around it, but Giorgio is just astounded and asks for Robert to take him to where he found the rock. Robert was just as excited. <laughs> does Giorgio want to hold the rock? Oh, he does. He, he holds the rock and he does the he does, magic wand and, and he everything does too. the hand mm-hmm. thing. The pair go to Roswell International Air Base, where in the 40s, this was the Strategic Air Command Base, which is where all the debris from the UFO crash, right. as well as the supposed alien bodies that the couple supposedly saw were taken back to to be hidden in hangar 84. They take a helicopter out to where the rock was found to the base of the Capitan Mountains. Robert is very comfortable with the desert. He grew up out there hiking in the desert as soon as he could walk, he said. So they're literally out in the desert and Robert points out the area where he found the rock. He was out there tracking deer, like I said before And he had seen fresh deer tracks and started following them. He looked over on an edge and saw a rock that didn't look like it quite belonged. As he got closer, he saw the design on it. And there's the Roswell rock. Giorgio takes the rock and puts it in the sand. And it definitely stands out. So he's like kind of trying to see like what caught Robert's eye. The two men then proceed to look for other similar rocks in the area. They try to find rocks that stand out like the Roswell rock, but mm-hmm. their rocks that they find are nowhere even near similar to the Roswell rock because in color really dark or anything. Chocolate, yeah. Weird.
0: No, it's brown a very dark color. chocolate. Definitely brown. not a desert.
1: Absolutely. Color. So I'll get a little more in depth on the actual rock itself because they end up taking it to a few labs to do scientific tests Ooh. on it. yeah it's really interesting the show is actually really cool so the first stop for their tests is with david sadler he's a stone cutter in the area he suggests the image had been sandblasted onto the rock so in sandblasting the edges around the stone are cut away giving the image that risen appearance oh okay he tried to replicate the rock and he did so on a few different rocks that he had on hand gotcha he used like a stencil and he did the sandblasting. If you guys have never seen sandblasting be done, go and YouTube video it. It's incredible. It is so cool. Yeah. I had never, it was, it blew me away how cool it was. So after he finishes with the replica, it took him about 30 minutes or so. He forms the conclusion that the Roswell Rock is man-made. The end, I'm just kidding there's more. <laughs> Good story. Now from the naked eye <laughs> I can kind of see the similarities. I mean, it looks like exactly like the image is risen. It's still connected to the rock. It's still made of the rock, but it looks risen out of the rock. Right. And the image is, you know, the same that's on his right, rock. Right. But under a microscope, definitely see the two are very different. The one that David did had hard edges, almost like sharp looking, where you could tell it was cut. Okay. But the Roswell rock was rounded. Almost smooth. Perfectly rounded into the stone. And remember, it's, it's small. So it was almost like this teeny tiny little razor had gone in there to perfect these round edges. And then the circles that are in the rock, mm-hmm. again, are like very smooth circles. Where the sandblasting that David did was rough. And like you could see it wasn't like a perfect circle. There was kind of like a little edge to that. Right. It's almost as if you take a
0: stamp, a stamper, mm-hmm. and you have a piece of play-doh or something, and you put the stamp on that and then let it harden. It's yeah. almost like
1: that. It's smooth. Right. No, it's very smooth. And it's it's like it's perfect circles. Then after David, they meet with Gio archaeologist Dr. Bill Dolman. He has been studying rocks for over 30 years. First they look at a map to show what kinds of rocks are normally found in the area that Robert found the stone. Limestone is found there. Right off the bat it seems unusual and out of place. Quote, basically it's what geologists call a pebble. It's rounded and that kind of rounding is very typical of stones found in a stream. Unquote. What's very unusual is the uniform color. Other rocks have like splattered colors or Mm -hmm. different colors. The Roswell rock is a uniform, dark brown all over. Right. Possibly painted. That's what it looks like. Dr. Dolman brings out a rock polisher and Robert just starts shaking his head. Nope, nope. He doesn't want it polished or messed with. No. I mean, he's carrying it around in his pocket, though. (laughs) He wants it protected. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he just doesn't want anybody to mess with it. Giorgio says that the rounded edges remind him of Puma Punku. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say that. (laughs) It's a site in Bolvaria that many scholars believe is more than 10,000 years old. At Puma Punku. You can see these huge pillars of these giant granite rocks, and there are dozens of these, that appear to be cut with extraordinary precision. Giorgio notes that back in those days, copper and chicken bones were kind of all the tools they would have had. Local legend says they were carved by the gods. Interesting. Dr. Dolman mentions two friends he has for their next tests an electro engineer to check out the magnetic field yes and a doctor that can get the rock under a ct scanner the electro engineer nathan menhorn uses a few different instruments on the rock one test he does is with a magnetometer that measures the strength of the magnetic field they probe around the rock and the numbers range at about 0.1 they probe they probe around the symbol the thickest part of the rock and it spikes to a nine wow very very reluctantly robert does agree at this point to let dr dolman take a grinder to the (gasps) back of the rock to see what's inside oh robert was generally affected by the grinding like he was attached to it he started to cry oh my gosh The grain on the outside of the rock matches the grain inside the rock. Oh, there was no paint. If it were plaster, it would have broken. But there's no paint. It was not painted on. They didn't like drill into the rock or anything like that. I mean, they took like a couple of millimeters. They just shaved on the back of the rock. But Giorgio at the end of the episode was like, and I know now your rock has a flaw, but now you can tell people it was from its real scientific tests. (laughs) Okay, Okay. (laughs) Giorgio. Okay, Giorgio. Let's start saying that. (laughs) So, it's not plaster, not painted, magnetic? Why? (laughs) Time for the CT scan. What's inside the rock? They meet with Dr. James L. Laurie, MD, radiologist. Another tropical shirt guy. (laughs) I mean, this guy, this shirt was like white. It was covered with these like bright neon green shells and brown shells. And okay, I I love it. I digress. (laughs) Anyway, they put the rock in the scanner. Now, this scan essentially shows all the different layers of the rock and gives a 3D image of what's inside. Okay. What's inside the rock? Nothing. Nothing. It's incredibly dense, a very solid rock. The scan also shows that the image on the stone is. Of the stone. It's all natural. Everything about the rock is real. Amazing. And this is all we know. Robert still has the Roswell rock. And as he and Giorgio sat back down at the diner they had originally met at, they both seemed very thrilled with their findings. I mean, the image is carved into the rock, like I said, with great precision, like a tiny knife went in there and carved it. Or some kind of advanced technology, maybe? The magnetic properties alone are... I mean, I just can't even wrap my mind around it. Giorgio's theory is over time, the sand has moved like it does in the desert, and all the soldiers missed this little stone as they were cleaning the debris of the crash. He believes that the crop circle was a sign from the extraterrestrials above that they were looking for it. The image could possibly be some kind of a star calendar or i don't know but but they're out there and giorgio believes that they plan to return someday to Looking get for the, the roswell rock?
0: rock robert be careful
1: hmm. keep <laughs> it in your <laughs> pocket maybe that's why it keeps it his... and that is the roswell rock i have never heard of this i know
0: that was really cool
1: i know a lot of people know about the UFO side, or they right. at least know that there's some kind of a UFO crash or something a in big Roswell. knowledge of it, right? Sure. But I saw this story and I was like, okay. And then when the guy's name was dorgio I had to watch. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'll put a link to the show. You guys have to watch it.
0: Yeah. And wait till you see The Rock. I mean, it's just.
1: Oh, it's crazy. It's, it is literally this
0: little blob. Pebble. This brown yeah. blob with a stencil almost in yeah, it. Yeah, it's crazy. And the fact that it can spin one way.
1: Yes, that's what blew and my mind. spin the other way. Is that when he held... And you saw this on the video? Yes, it was done by multiple people. It wasn't just done by just Robert either. And it was done with other magnets as well. Not just his magic wand. Not just wand. his magic wand. The electro engineer guy, mm-hmm. he pulled out his own magnet and he did it too. Okay, here's my question. Okay.
0: If I find a rock, no matter how fascinating it is, mm-hmm. the last thing I think... Doing is pulling out a magic wand and playing with it. Well, I think what made him do that?
1: <clears throat> he said initially when he had it and he couldn't enclose it in his hand. Oh, of and course. Then that symbol was very interesting to him. He just felt he just he just felt something within it and he just pulled out a, a oh, magnet the, one day to play with it and The hand thing would be. Yeah, he could definitely. not enclose it. And it was just like That would tell you right there. It just right. felt like a magnet. So he just initially grabbed then he grabbed a magnet okay that makes sense the hand came first the hand came first (laughs) and then the chicken and then the egg we solved it done (laughs) the universe has been solved yeah except the west mesa no i know crap don't bring me back there now i'm gonna start my mind wandering again all of this now your minds are all wandering go catch them I need to stop talking. My mouth is wandering. God bless this drink. Your minds are watering. Don't catch them. Mom, well, it was stupid. You don't have to repeat no, it. I know it was stupid. It was really good. <laughs> Thank you, Mommy.
0: Of course, I've had two drinks.
1: So maybe <laughs> that's why. But Keep on drinking. I get funnier. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Next week, we'll be covering stories from Arizona. Yes, we will.
0: I'm so excited because my friend wrote in and told me her
1: paranormal story. So I get to repeat that. And I'm really excited because I think I'm going to do another cold case. Oh, we do kind of like these cold cases. Because I think I want to solve one. That's my goal. And I'm going to do so on three of these. Hot enchiladas. Well, cheers so you, to that. How's that? <laughs> so if you guys have any cold cases you want us to cover, because we're going to solve one. You, <laughs> Yes, we are. My mother and I are all going to solve a cold case. Email them to us at KillerHangoverPodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on social media. I will be posting pictures of the Roswell Rock as well as the images that mom was talking about um, from the satellite
0: Oh, yes, definitely. Of the crime. The vegetation and everything is so interesting. Again,
1: I've only heard about it. I've not seen it. I really want to see those pictures, too. We're also on Patreon. Guys, there's two full episodes out there. It's $5 a month. We really appreciate the support and joining us. And if you can't afford to financially support us, leave us a good review for us, please. (laughs) Leave a review. It, It all helps. It all. It all helps. Absolutely. And it's all very appreciated by us. Right. And we love your comments. Oh, my gosh. keep We them get coming. a kick.
0: We get a kick every time we of get Of the messages one. we
1: get and yes, the requests like, and we their get. And the requests. Yeah. We, we got love one it.
0: from, to do a stories from D.C. recently. So we're going to now look at D.C. Because yeah, we hadn't even us. thought about it. So.
1: Exactly. Send them to us. Another good episode,
0: Mother. Yes, it was. I, I. Thank you for this drink.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I knew you were going to like it. do. It's just for you, Mama. Cheers, Mama. Cheers. Love you, kid.